Uh, but Pastor Norman, he is the pastor of uh, Camille and Kalai, who were here a couple weeks ago. How many of you enjoyed having Pastor Camille uh, with us? Um, pastor Norman, at, she helped Pastor Norman plant Pearlside, and uh, they are a church of prayer and of power. And so Pastor Norman, now he is the expansion pastor of Grace Bible Pearlside, and he has the opportunity to visit all the different uh, Every Nation churches in the region. So we're very, very blessed to have Pastor Norman here with us this morning. Could you guys welcome uh, Pastor Norman as he, as he comes? Thank you, Pastor Jonathan. Some of you are looking at me like, who in the world is that guy? Yeah, sometimes I wake up in the morning and ask myself in the mirror, who in the world is that guy? You have gotten older now. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Jonathan Jocelyn and Grace Bible Maui for having me, but more importantly, uh, what you've done. You are legendary in the state of Hawaii. You know how we don't hear press clippings about ourselves, right? But how people speak about you uh, on the island of Oahu, where I'm at and wherever I go, <clears throat> is just epic. Uh, how you served this island, the hurting people, um, the survivors of Lahaina and those who've lost loved ones, uh, is true Christianity. It is true biblical Christianity in an overwhelming condition and just so difficult. And um, forever you will be etched in the hearts of the body of Christ and also those beyond. And so um, I want you to do this, give yourselves a hand because that's the applause of heaven that you will hear one day, nothing goes unnoticed in eternity. And one day you will stand before the Lord and receive a great reward. So for now, how about a hand clap for yourself? <clears throat> I was very uh, <clears throat> animated and local yokel and screamed a lot in the first service and as I look at you, you look a lot more civilized, <laughs> a lot more uh, professional. <clears throat> I don't know if that was God <laughs> or the enemy or whatever else or confirmation, but I'm, on this President's Day weekend, thank you so much for being here. I'm very honored. At, I'm 69. I'm not retired. I actually train younger pastors and leaders to start new sites and plant new churches. I'm in training rooms and I help staffs uh, establish solidarity in their leadership teams and they grow their churches. And that's what older guys do. That's what Pastor Eddie was for many years and now he's playing tennis and driving a Tesla, is from what I can see. And by the way, I got here, I mean, what a car. It feels like a jet. I feel like I'm in a James Bond movie, you know what I'm saying? I feel like I'm in the future, and uh, I'm thinking of getting one now, when I can afford one, that is. But right now I drive a Camry, and my wife drives a Corolla, and we're normal people. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the warmth of all of you mingling with all of you, it's been a while since I've actually been here preached. Uh, it, it might be several years, but uh, you're special people, and I think you need to know that, because you know, sometimes you don't hear about what people say about you. So I'm going to let you know. That's what people say about you. And so I'm very honored to be here. A little bit about me. I've been married 44 years. Um, I have three daughters, ages, let me get this right. I blew it in the first service. Uh, ages 36, 38, and 42. I have four grandchildren. One was recently born a couple months ago. He's a boy. His name is Ethan. 
I have two granddaughters and have a grandson. The grandson is a starting point guard for the Yolani uh, Junior Varsity basketball team, and uh, he's a basketball addict. And so I'm believing that <coughs> he's going to be something special, maybe get a college scholarship and, and go someplace and where my son-in-law and my daughter don't have to pay money for their tuition. Can you, be, can you remember that? Can you smoke up that prayer while you're having your devotions in an obscure moment? All right. Um, my wife, I, you know, I don't have any pictures, I'm sorry, so just, you just have to use your imagination. Um, I'm, I'm a graduate of Farrington High School, University of Hawaii. I've also taught school before. I've played professionally in the nightclubs before. I'm the drums, frustrated musician. Tried every other instrument. I wasn't very good at it, so I needed an instrument I could whack. And uh, that's turned out well for me. I've worked in the hotel industry. So I haven't just grown up in the ministry. You know, I've, I've done other things. I've been a night auditor, uh, so forth and so on. And I think that when I come to you today, I speak from the purview of just dabbling in other things other than church work. Um, but as a student at the University of Hawaii in 1973, at the peak of the Jesus Revolution revival, the Jesus Movement, which is the last great revival, coinciding with the charismatic outpouring in the late 60s and early 70s, Pastor Eddie Asato, Pastor Eddie, how many of you know him? Okay, because I need to ask. Founding I'm a founding pastor now. I can actually go to my church and people introduce themselves and welcome me to the church I founded. <laughs> All right? And so I get a kick out of that. I just really get a kick out of it. And then afterwards they find out, right? They go, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you were, sorry, you, you treat me different just because you know who I was? Shouldn't you love me? Right? For who I am. Okay, enough. See, already I'm starting to act like I did in the first service. So may the Lord help us all. Anyway, Eddie discipled me, led me to the Lord, discipled me, called vocational ministry out of me, at which time I thought he was crazy. But he wasn't. Because here I am. And the launch began into a life story. But it happened during the peak of the last great historic revival. And we are now in the beginning of the sequel to that over 50 years later. So we're going to talk about dreaming again this morning. We have a promise. In spite of all the pain and darkness in the world, we have a prophetic promise to receive the Holy Spirit, see God's vision and dreams God's dream. God is a dream for you. God puts dreams and visions in you that will determine your path. Pastor Eddie actually for a moment had a prophetic moment and he said, I can see you in full-time ministry. I was playing Doobie Brothers, Tower of Power, all right, Grand Funk Railroad in hours after those discipleship sessions. I was on my way to a different life path and the Lord intercepted me and used Eddie Asato who was at that time 28 years old And the ritual was I would eat a plate lunch at Grace's Lunch Wagon, 95 cents, and they would just like pile it on. And during my discipleship journey with Pastor Eddie, I gained five pounds. <laughs> but more importantly, the food of God's word was going in me, and it totally changed my life. Well, let me tell you, that atmosphere was special because I looked around me, my musician friends, surfer friends, drug friends, artistic friends, the graffiti guys, they were getting saved. And I thought, man, 
I thought this was normal. Young people are just coming to the Lord uh, in droves. But it wasn't normal. It ended. And waves of revival that ended back then are coming again and they're beginning again. In the first service during the middle of worship, I felt like the Lord gave me a clear vision of Lahaina being swept over by waves and tsunamis of refreshing restoration and fresh growth. It will happen again. And sometimes things happen in our lives that are so devastating, we think there is no tomorrow, that it's the end of the dream. But I will say to you, we have, for these last days, a prophetic promise to receive the Holy Spirit, see God's vision, and dream God's dream. The prophet Joel, prophets have an ability to see into people's hearts and the future as God allows. And the great prophet Joel saw into the day that we're living in, and he writes this in the 28th verse of Joel chapter 2, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, dreams and visions, similar in meaning. Basically, it's a picture. It's, it's a visual, a picture of the future, of a desirable future. And right now, uh, drizzles of revival have been falling post-COVID. Prophetic voices predicted that this would happen, and it's been happening for the last year and a half. Drops have turned into drizzles. It started as raindrops, and um, God is now pouring out to a greater degree more of His Spirit in this hour. And when this happens, there is an increased ability to see prophetically. Think of mental pictures and images. How many of you have imaginations? You see things in your mind. Not that it's right, right? Like when I'm, we, we just all ended fasting recently. I had lots of visions of chicken katsu curry, meatloaf with extra max salad on the side, you know. So we all have that ability to imagine, to see. If you will cultivate that ability and say, Lord, would you flavor this, anoint it, refine it, and purify it, you will find how easy it is to discern the direction of God for your life. Now, let me just kind of let that settle in because a lot of people, they, they, it's like they strain to, see, to, to experience God's will for their life. I'm sure Pastor John had visions of Jocelyn when he was single, and look, it's come to pass. How many years have you been married now? Do the math quickly, yes. <laughs> 25 years, are you sure? Yes, no. So, all of us, if we can see things in our imagination, we have an ability with greater alacrity to find the will of God. So, having said that, when God shows you stuff, expectantly and patiently pray for it, look for it, write it down, and act on it. Pearlside Church, um, you know, which is, as Pastor John said, one of the largest churches in the state, is a reality today because I saw it before it happened. And we'll talk about that a little bit. And there's lots of things when I look back on my 69 years, it happened only after I first saw it on the inside did it happen on the outside. And just think about it. When you begin to systemize and note and triangulate the images God shows you, you will refine an ability to sense the will of God 
quicker and with greater clarity. So, 650 years before Jesus came, there was this prophet named Habakkuk. Habakkuk. I like him because he was kind of a normal guy, like us. He wasn't this super prophet like Isaiah. In fact, he's very obscure. Nothing is really known about him, but he was an angry guy. He was upset at God because God seemed to be letting the wicked go free and darkness increase, and he wasn't blessing the people of God. It seemed like the people of God were experiencing injustice, and the wicked, who were not the people of God, were finding favor in life. And Habakkuk was this angry, indignant prophet. And so here's what he said. Here he, he begins to express himself in chapter 2. He says, I will take my stand. He says, actually, it's, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me, military language. So that tells you he's militantly indignant. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So he's upset. And then he drops this phrase in, the righteous shall live by his faith. So he's determined to hear from God. He's angry. That, that energy is fueling him. But he makes this statement. He says, the righteous shall live by his faith. Let me paraphrase it. I believe that God will speak to me. Because this is not right. I need answers. How many have ever been there before? And he just believed. I think that it, no matter how long it took, he would, he would just Stay in that resolve. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision, make it plain to, on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It seem, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Habakkuk, the promises from the forefathers for the people of God, for the people of Israel will still come to pass. The injustice you see right now and the evil and the darkness and the pain and the suffering will not last forever. There will be a tomorrow. And when I show you everything, he's saying, I want it to be etched in your soul. So he says, write it so you can act on it. So the prophets of old, here's what they did. They saw, they wrote down what they saw, and they declared what they saw, which is why we have the book of the... Which, we, which is why we have the prophetic books, our roadmap for the future. We are not prophets, but we are prophetic people. And if we know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in us, and we can be a prophetic people that sense God and His direction, His dream and vision in the very, very same way. Look at, look at, look at what He says here. I will see what he will say to me. That's, that's prophets talking. In other words, he heard with his eyes and knew that quite often God speaks visually. On the map, on the canvas of your mind. Waiting, he says wait for it, really means praying. And we know that writing would bring clarity. The prophets of old wrote as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's something about journaling. You're working through the book of Matthew. 
Many of you are journaling the insights God shows you as you read through the Word of God and Scripture. It is amazing that I find that in a past day I was an English teacher, believe it or not. The first service would probably say you probably were a pigeon English teacher. But so far I'm holding, I'm contained. So far I'm kind of, you know, kind of smooth, right, so far. Yeah, yeah. Because this is a different crew. They don't, they, they, they seem more intellectual, well-behaved, and professional, highly charactered crew, this second service. Um, not, not that the last service wasn't, that came out wrong. But there's something about when I write, they say, just, I used to tell students creative writing. I don't know, I don't know what to write, I'm not inspired. Just put pen to paper and just start writing your thoughts, random thoughts out. And as you begin the act of writing in faith, inspiration will come and pretty soon random thoughts can be reorganized into a narrative and a story, which is how dreams and visions unfold, which is how scripture unfolds. The whole Bible is a story. It's the gospel story, right? It's the narrative of the creation, fall, Redemption and restoration, we know. Everything points to the gospel as a story. In a month, a little over a month, it's Easter. And we celebrate the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. That's the story. God's writing a story. And the vision and the dream that he has, he has for every one of you. And he wants to speak that to you. And I believe that as you allow yourself to see and ask for God's refinement regarding what you see, and you begin to write and you journal through the lens of Scripture, you will be amazed what God shows you. You, you, you will absolutely be amazed. But when you begin to act on it, obedience brings opposition. And this is where we close today. Okay? This is where we close. And when opposition follows your obedience, battle through prayer to possess it, but prayer in a certain way. There came a time in Jesus' ministry that he cursed a fig tree. What an odd moment to teach a lesson about faith and prayer, spiritual warfare, and the power of the spoken word. So Matthew, you're in the book of Matthew. Here's our text, Matthew chapter 21. Jesus is teaching an object, an object lesson, and Seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And watch what happens. The fig tree withered at once. Boom. Kind of a miracle. It happened instantaneously. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? Can you put yourself into the conversation? Right? I don't know if they showed this in The Chosen yet. Right? There's four parts now. How many have seen The Chosen? Okay, if you haven't seen The Chosen, you're not going to go to heaven. If you haven't seen Jesus' Revolution, you're not going to go to heaven either. Joking, just joking, all right? So here's, Jesus is, what an odd moment. How did the fig tree wither at once? And the Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, okay, fig tree is one thing, mountain is a whole nother thing. Even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Here's a companion verse in the book 
of Mark. Therefore, I tell you, in light of this, in other words, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours, which seems to be a tension of contradiction. He says, wait, wait, wait. Believe that you already have it, but then you need to pray that you will have it. Make up your mind. Which one is it? Okay, we'll get, we'll get to that soon. When Jesus is saying, speak to the mountain, is he really saying, speak to a physical mountain? Speak to Haleakala. And if you have faith and do not doubt, speak to Haleakala, and it will be cast into the sea. Is that what Jesus is literally saying? And I will say to you, no. Because if we look into the original language, the word mountain, the collection of all of the idioms and the, the etymology and everything about that, I think we can summarize it to be this. It was a demonic presence. And I've used, I've used these terms. A rising bird of prey. So Jesus is actually saying, there's going to come times that you're going to have to confront evil, dark, demonic presence that comes directly against you and wants to subvert the God's vision and dream for your life. This is not popular teaching, but it has been my journey and my story. How many of you know there's God, there's angels, there's the devil and demons? How many believe that's true? Okay, because if you believe, that's everybody, just about everybody. If you believe that's true, and we know there are angelic and Holy Spirit manifestations, we know darkness manifests, don't we? The Super Bowl parade, the shooting, this young man that uh, on Oahu, I don't know if you, you're aware of it here, 39-year-old male who was shot to death in Waianae, on Oahu, was a member of our church, and it leaves behind an adorable daughter and a wife. It has shaken us to the core. That is evil. The devil comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. On the one hand, we can say, well, it's the sovereignty of God, and God, what happens is God allows and God permits. That's true. But that does not remove the reality of demonic evil and dark interference. He was a lead for our shuttle team in the past. He was a serve team lead. This is the prime of life. And this is what freaks people out sometimes. How can his dream and vision be aborted? It's a combination of that which God has mysteriously allowed. At the same time, it was demonic interference. And I will tell you, there's a, bit of, a little bit of Habakkuk in me right now that wants to say, God, why? But it also, God reminds me that we have to understand, against darkness and evil, we need to stand, having done all to stand. And sometimes God allows the opposition to teach us how to stand, how to believe, how to see, how to hear, and how to fight. You've all had, had experiences where there's oppression and depression that seems to linger. Jesus is saying, you need to actually sometimes not pray about it, talk about it. You need to address it because it may be a spirit of oppression or depression, a spirit of infirmity. We were praying after the first service over a woman, just that. We teamed up 
And we addressed that. We prayed for her healing from above, but we, ad- we addressed the mountain on the earth. We cover all the bases. And could it be some things that linger in our lives, God wants us not just to pray about it, but could it be a demonic interference where we address it? And we say, to move. I can tell you story after story of doing blessings on homes and apartments and businesses where things changed once we went just, we went to addressing demonic presence and added that to praying for God's blessing. Sometimes we do the ceremonial nice thing, but addressing the evil thing, we go, well, that's weird. Really? I see it throughout Scripture. Certainly, it's in the book of Matthew. So do we edit that part out? We want the God of healing. We want the God of miracles and visions and dreams and smiles and happiness, but God calls us to deal with evil. And sometimes we tolerate what we should eliminate. I had a real clear vision of our church having young people before it was born. It was a great honor from Sam and Nancy Webb to be offered to take over Grace Bible Honolulu. But Faye and I, my wife, we could never make it fit. And after 10 months, we knew the Lord was saying to plant another church in Pearl City. And so we did. The dream inside of me was it would be a church that would have a lot of young people. And God gave me the general outline, but he didn't give me the detail. And it's a good thing because When we planted the church in year one, year two, three, four, and five, we had a lot of young people. New Hope Christian Fellowship and Pastor Wayne Codero, who was a friend of mine, was blowing up on the other side of the island with beautiful people, people that looked like Pastor John and Jocelyn. As a matter of fact, people that looked like you, normal people with kids, families, right? And we were blowing up with hoodlums. We were blowing up, literally blowing up. We opened an evening service for people who worked in the morning. Um, we were in a cafeteria of an elementary school, Momilani Elementary School, up by Pearl City High School, with the stink, sour smell of milk because they had the big trash bins right by the entrance. We didn't have classrooms. The Pro City Band was rehearsing while we were having church. 325 people playing the Hilo March over and over. They would always march in the Macy's and Rose Bowl Parade, so they were always practicing. So we would have to have worship above them, and our worship was terrible because Pastor Wayne and you hope had all the great musicians. <laughs> and I had to preach above the band. How's that for a start? But at night, by the way, the band practiced at night. They practiced all the time. Practice makes perfect. Instead of drawing families, you drew kids. They started coming from Maile, Nanakuli, Waianae, the west side, Camp- uh, Eva, Eva Beach, Kalihi, Waimanalo. And it was like, why are these people coming? These are not the people I want. It's like I wanted to pray, rain, rain, go away, come, come, you know, come back some other day. I mean, I was, 
I, I can tell you and laugh about it now, but I was pretty, really guilty about it and conflicted about it back then. My kids would come and say, Dad, we don't want to go to church. We're scared. That's bad. That's not, how you, that's not why you plant churches. And uh, we were breaking up fights in the middle of the worship service. I didn't say this in the earlier service. We were breaking up fights after the service because the young people are very territorial. These were not the normal people. In fact, we would find out a lot of them came from very rugged backgrounds, drugs, molestation, all that. so there was demonic presence. And no matter how much we prayed about them, for them to get better, the Lord made it real clear we needed to speak to the mountain the curse that was on their life or the demon that was upon them or inside of them. And for five years, we, we had to school ourselves real quick on deliverance. For sanity, I would go to New Hope on a weekend. They had like, they were blowing up with, we were blowing up, all right, but it's a different kind of blowing up, okay? <laughs> they were blowing up with growth, with beautiful, I mean, we were casting out demons, and there was this one girl, and I'll, I'll tell you, her name was Kyla. She was a freshman out of Moanalo High School, and she came with a bunch of people, and it was the middle of a worship time, and we had about maybe 80 to 100 people there. And it was mostly young people. People like I was going, where are these young people from? Remember, the dream and the vision was a church with a lot of young people. But in my mind, it was like, but Lord, not these young people. How many of you have been there? Yep, adjust your halo, your religious halo, because I had to adjust mine really quickly. And as she began to screech, I saw people just begin to scatter against the wall, and I made my way to the middle with you know, with Pastor Coach, Alfredo Canezio, you know who he is. And she was starting to speak in different voices, trying to levitate, and people were just freaking out. We had people after that Sunday night, we had some adults and families, they said, we're not coming back, this is not a safe place. And it was, it was freaky. It took us four days, but we, were, we learned about deliverance. In four days, with help from the from a prophet who had come through town, his name was Scott Webster, we were able to architect a deliverance of 48 evil spirits, including the anchor spirit, which was witchcraft. And poor thing, Kyla was a sweet girl. She didn't know why she had these things on her and in her, but in studying her bloodline, the anchor, there was witchcraft practice in her family. She didn't even know about it. When she was delivered, she gave her heart to Jesus instantly. And she began to listen to Bible cassette tapes, cassette tapes. Some of you don't know what that is, okay? Go ask someone that's old, older, older. And she began to listen to Bible on tapes, worship. She began to read, and she became a dynamic Christian. And she began to invite her friends. Here's the problem. She began, she began to invite her friends that had some of the same problems she had. So the more is not merrier, more is messier. And she, does, she invited about 50 people over the next two weeks. And it was chaos. I had to come up for air, so I would go to Pastor Wayne's church, New Hope, on a weekend, because they were belonging. They had like three services or whatever. And while we were confronting mountains in the name of Jesus and breaking up fights, New Hope was reading poetry. They were showing video clips. I thought, this is so cool of just beautiful testimonies. They had, I used to be a musician professionally before. 
I'm, I'm seeing some of my friends up there, right? You know, I mean, we're talking about professional musicians, and I'm thinking, oh, there's people that used to be in our, our worship team in our <laughs> church, right? And I'm getting half mad, and I'm, I'm you know, but I'm really happy, and, and, and they're like having hula, right? And, you know, and, and dramatic arts and all this, and I'm thinking, boy, our worlds are really different. Pastor Wayne has the church I want. I've said this in other places. I'm waiting for a call from Wayne. I want to talk with him. Say, look, no offense, bro, but we need to get together, have a cup of coffee, and laugh. Because one time, he, remember, we, we, we met, and he meant, Norman, what the heck is going, up, going on up, up in that hill? I'm hearing stuff. <laughs> I wanted to say, bro, this is New Testament Christianity, Book of Acts, man. No more hula in the Book of Acts. No more video clips and poetry reading, bro. This is real Christianity. But I didn't say anything. I was a good boy. But if you look in the book of Acts, you look in the Gospels, that's what it is. And the Lord said, you prayed for the harvest. You prayed for a church full of young people, right? And I'm not just a young people person. I'm all about families. But I got reached by Pastor Eddie as a young person. And I thought... That's who easy, most easily responds to the Lord. This is Norman. It's, let me just condense a series of conversations. It's like this. I was very tempted to give the kids away as a gift. I had a friend named Jay Amina in Wyanai. He's a great pastor, great church, the Ark Church on the, on the west side. But he was like a youth pastor back then. And Jay was like the bull of Wyanai, great football player, great leader. Way beyond me. And I said, bro, I got some people for you. They come from your area, right? Logical, right? We're way up in Pearl City, and Jay, you're right there in Y&I. Bro, right by the mall. And it's like the Lord stopped me after that call. It was like I got in front of a master bedroom mirror. And I looked in there. I said, Lord, what's going on? Our kids don't want to come to church. We've got violence, demons. It's crazy, man. We were all reading John Maxwell books at that time. And in one of his books on the 17 laws of leadership, is the law of attraction, that you attract who you are. I said, Lord, why am I attracting these people? I am a normal, Asian, skinny, small, Asian guy. And they're nothing like me. And you know how you have that still, small voice? The Lord, son, you're just like them. And they know it on the inside. That's why they feel safe. That's why they're drawn. That's why I'm bringing them here, and that's why they keep coming. Remember, you grew up in Kalihi, not Kahala. <laughs> this looks like Kahala, but see, rough-cut kids, they, they, they read you who you are on the inside. Jonathan married a girl from Kalihi. You're in, Kalihi, you're, you're in Farrington, right? Yeah, you look like a hollow, but you look like me. You come from Kalihi, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I guess John's sort of rough cut too because he was attracted to you. Okay, that, that's another story. 
And uh, that was it. I repented, let go, pivoted, and the church continued to grow. And eventually we began to get like normal kids and normal families. But for the first five years, I had to sometimes make myself go to church and I was the pastor. How many of you know that's a really bad thing? That's a really bad thing when you're the pastor and you have to almost discipline yourself to get to church. Same vision, same dream, generally. But God doesn't show us everything specifically. Right? My wife is nothing like what I thought she would be. In 44 years, I found out there are tributaries and qualities inside of her that I never knew was there, and vice versa. Sometimes God edits out the details because he knows the details in our dream and our vision would be too scary, so he tricks us. That's a Kalihi word. He tricks us into obedience. And then when we're in the fight and in the fray, he gives us the tools to address the mountains. You know what's the great thing? is to see these, not all of them got delivered, not all of them got saved and came to the Lord. But I got to say, some of them are on my staff. Yep, they were once screeching. They once needed deliverance. And one of them that just chased my daughter around for years, I prayed him away. I, tried, I hoped he would go away. And he just would not go away. And I took him for a van ride. This is full disclosure. I don't say this everywhere I go, but you feel like family. And so his name's Billy Lyle. And he was the son of a drug dealer who was in prison. And he was the only child. Of course, in my mind, surely, Lord, for my princess, there's someone better. No offense, nothing against Billy. Surely. And my wife would say after a while, he's not going away. Maybe they're meant to be together. I say, honey, he's 15. Right? You parents of Adelaide, that's not language you talk about. Unless there's a sense. 16, 17, he still was there. I took him on a ride. I said, if you touch my daughter, I'll kill you. I say exact words, and I've tried to apologize to now Pastor Billy, who is my boss. Oh, hello. And he says, I don't remember it. I thought, praise be to God. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember it, and I remember what I said. He was one of that crew. There were others. And I look back now, yes, I can feel proud about it. I can feel grateful and worshipful and rather in awe and looking back. But when I was in it, a lot of the time, it was no fun. But it was in the no fun zone that the Lord taught me to fight. Sometimes in your obedience, there will be opposition because God wants to teach you to fight. Speak to the mountain, rebuke that spirit of depression, oppression, deception, violence, addiction, and command that mountain to go and leave. Spirit of fear and intimidation, leave 
in the name of Jesus. The surviving daughter and wife of a man whose assailants are still being sought as I speak to you will need a lot of that. They're going to need a lot of prayer. This is the first time in Pearl Sight's history that we've littered the, the, the front pages with a homicide and people will ask, how could God let this happen? That's the great mystery. But we must remember we're in a fight. All of the disciples lost their lives as martyrs except John. That's after persecutors tried to boil him in oil, but the Lord preserved him. And he just would not die because God had a plan for him. you close your eyes. And Father, I pray that eyes are closed. You would bring to mind the visions and the dreams they've had for their lives, for their loved ones, and you would bring it clearly to mind. Some of you will begin to see visions of lunch. That's not God. Sometimes you have to swat away the distraction till you actually lock into the vision. And we would be remiss today, especially here on an island where so much devastation has happened. We would be remiss not to say beyond the devastation there is a dream, there is a vision, there is a plan, there is a hope, and there is a future. Fear and death, depression and oppression, addiction, will not hold sway. Holy Spirit, I pray that a clear picture of a desirable future, a future of hope and possibility, will fill their minds that not only now, but as they leave, life and vibrance, hope and achievement, all of that will be their portion. Holy Spirit, Open all of our eyes and give us the ability to dream again. You can open your eyes. And you might want to journal some of those things. What God shows you, write it down. And the ones you feel great about, talk it out. Talk it out with someone. And you sense a witness whether God's stirring something that's truly from him. We're going to close with this video clip. We featured at Christmas over at Pearlside Church. And, um, <clears throat> you know, COVID for some people, even though it seems passe now, it still has a grip on people with certain vulnerabilities. And this is Officer B.J. Morales of the Honolulu Police Department. Prime of life with wife Rochelle, three beautiful daughters. And he got it bad to the place they pretty much gave him no hope. But then God gives you a picture and whispers his voice. And it's a game changer. But like Habakkuk says, you have to believe that the righteous shall live by faith. And sometimes we have to watch. We have to be careful about which voice we're listening to and what picture we're seeing. Take a look. Honolulu police officer. 
officer is fighting for his life. A Honolulu police officer is in the hospital fighting COVID-19. Officer B.J. Morales is assigned to the Wahiwa police station. Friends and family say he's taken a turn for the worse. In the beginning, it was just like, oh, okay, I'm going to get better. And then I wasn't getting better. I was like, oh, man. That was just the start of like a long journey. Morales has been in a medically induced coma. We're told Morales was healthy, active, and young. He was on three different life support machines. Nurses would tell me that, you know, he is the sickest patient in all of Hawaii. And there's very little that we can do but wait and hope that things turn around. I just thought I was gonna die. I'll just say, hey God, please help me get better, you know, so I can see my family. Nobody knows the outcome. You're hearing people are dying. You're hearing people are hospitalized. Fear just overtook our family. Before COVID, being so full of the business of life, God had been on the back burner. My wife would bring it up. She would say, oh, we should go to church. So I was just like, ah, oh, you know what? I don't know if we have time. My priority was like, oh, work, 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 work. You know, it's expensive feeding three kids. The kids didn't have that time with their father as much as they probably wanted to. My thought process was that, hey, you know, like, as long as I'm providing for my family and they're fed, they have their toys, then they're fine. I'll be there when they need me, you know. While he was in the hospital, his chances of survival is really very, very slim. My auntie had invited me to ProSide. Hey ProSide family, thank you so much for joining us once again. I would make the time for my kids and I to go to church and go to small group. It felt like another family to me that also gave me more hope. God is near to you right now more than you've ever been before. So the whole time I was out, I just remember like my dreams were, I could hear my family. The nurses had said, if you want, I can put the phone next to his ear and you can talk to him and I'll leave the phone there and just let us talk. I could hear them, I know they're at. I just wanna hug them, I just wanna be with them. Whenever the nurse did their rotations, they would call me if they were going into the room. We could talk as a family to him. I would tell him every day that I believe that God has more purpose for him. 35-year-old B.J. Morales has spent 80 days so far in the hospital. Some good news, his family says he's showing some signs of improvement. I had that sense and peace from God, knowing that he was going to do something miraculous. You came along, put me back together. Every desire is now sad. 
Chances of survival of beating this was slim. You know, this uh, this has to be the works of God. You know, that was where God was softening his heart, opening his eyes to see that God was in control of this whole situation this entire time. I didn't fully give my life to him before God. I know you spared me. Um, I want to find out why. He had lost so much time with his family. That's one of the things that BJ really was more aware of. All he wanted to do was spend time with his family. Yeah, I was able to appreciate what my kids needed. It wasn't just the material things that they needed. What they really needed was just my presence and being at home. He's able to balance more of his work and family and God. Everything else seems to fall into place. In this past year, he started going to small group. That was his biggest step of faith. Having that in his life now has really made a huge difference. Like you can see God working in his heart. All this nothing better than you is nothing better than you. All this nothing, nothing is when you feel God's presence, seeing him touch your life and your children and your husband, it's such a huge blessing. Knowing that, especially now, we have that hope, it's so unreal and amazing. So right now, I'm still in that phase where I'm still learning still learning how to walk with Jesus. I have a greater appreciation for life. Thankful that I'm still alive and still here with my family. You know, I'm just like, oh man, like, you know, God's not done with me yet. Some things I want to capture <clears throat> as the worship team comes up. Rochelle will tell you she sensed the Lord say he will live. The doctors were telling her otherwise. Prepare for death. But the righteous, as Habakkuk said, shall live by their faith. So she chose to see a picture of life and hear the promise of DJ's side, while he was in the coma, he'll tell you, I could hear everything. The brain was active, and he heard the prayers that fueled his own faith. And you have the miracle. And the hope, and the dream, and the vision, because they're serving the Lord for Buster right now, continues. 
You can imagine the three girls who will remember this story forever. And as I tell you this, I realize when you look at Lahaina or some of your own Lahainas privately, that the story is not always tied up in a bow tie. I have to go back. And the Pia family, the captain of our shuttle drivers once, was shot to death in Waianae, the very community we had a lot of kids coming from when we started the church, which reminds me, by the way, we've now planted a church out there, planted a congregation out there. You know, and we call it the community of Moks, and the pastor or the leader of the congregation is called Moku. How appropriate that is. It, God is God. But we choose to believe for the impossible no matter what, and God's the one who decides the outcome. Our role is just to pray, to believe, to speak to the mountain, and do everything we can. Because when the outcome happens, we can say, God, you are, as Rochelle said, in control. But if we don't do everything, see, this is the thing. God is sovereign, but he invites us in to participate in the miracle. You're here, and God has been whispering to you to serve him, to give your life to him. B.J., from that, gave his life to Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior, which is the place we gain entry into heaven, but also we begin to have God work out his purposes and his destiny in and through our lives on this earth. Because we're not here to take up space on the planet. We're here to fulfill a vision and a dream that comes from him. And with every head bowed, just, just a moment of reverence, I want to, Pastor John did it in the first service, I want to do it in this second service. You're here, and you're saying, you know what, I want to, I've been dabbling, I've been visiting, but I want to be committing my life to Jesus today. Welcome, if you do, to the beginning of God's dream for your life. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again, breaking the power of sin and death, which we celebrated Easter. He ascended. He's at the right hand of the Father, praying for us. But if you believe that Jesus, the Son of God, is your Savior, that in fact when he went to the cross and shed his blood, which we remember today in communion, if you believe that Christ is the Son of God, understanding we were all born sinners, and you're saying, I am ready to give my life to him. We do so by faith. It's not about where we've been, how we've lived, or how we perform. No one is good enough. It's all by faith. And you're here, and you want to receive Christ as your personal Savior, then with every head bowed, repeat this prayer line by line after me in your heart. And then Christians that are already here, pray this out loud with me as a confession of faith. Dear Lord, by your Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, that you died for my sins, that you rose again, 
and fulfilled all righteousness for me. I surrender to you. I am yours. In Christ's name. Amen. Look with every head bowed. You're here. The Bible says to make the confession public whenever possible. Because when that happens, that confession is replayed in heaven and the angels rejoice. And you prayed to receive the Lord, committed your life to the Lord today, just as a witness. On the count of three, can you lift your hand up for a second and put it back down? One, two, three. Okay, everybody. Okay. Let me put it back down. Maybe, maybe I can be clear. You prayed for the first time and really meant it to commit your life to Jesus. On the count of three. One, two, three. Welcome to the family of God and the beginning of the dream he has for your life. How about a hand for those who received the Lord here this morning? <laughs> Pastor John, we'll talk to you about next steps. I remember that day like it was yesterday when it happened for me. But I also want to pray that the vision and dream that God has for you and wants to live through you will become clear. If we learn anything from Habakkuk, it's this, when you begin to work through the gospel of Matthew and God begins to show you things in your mind, in your imagination, you pray it, own it on the inside, envision it. And eventually, Jesus is saying, if it's him, you'll eventually have it. See it, write it down, that's the power of journaling, and then... Declare it. Start talking about it in your small group or with trusted friends. And then there will be that first step where you do something. You know, I've always dreamed I'm a non-athlete. But I'm a sports fan. And I've always dreamed about working with the University of Hawaii football team. And for over 20 years, God has given me my dream. And to this day, Every week in a small group, we talk about the dream of a program that's dying because of money and the NIL. And the I walk into Timmy Ch Coach Timmy Chang's office. And some of the coaches come in, and our goal is to reach all of them. We talk about the Bible. We talk about Jesus. And today, just so you know that the raindrops of revival are falling, back in the Jesus movement, it was young people. Asbury happened back then, the Asbury Revival. Today, it's young people again. Thou tens of thousands of college students, most recently yesterday at Florida State, are coming to Christ and being baptized. Having been the product of the last revival, I can recognize the signs that it's happening again. And at last count, over half the University of Hawaii football team has come to Christ. That's never happened before. They're playing worship music in the locker rooms. Now, that's not because of me or anybody. That's because it's just revival rain that's falling. And I look back on my life and I think, I was never, in spite of myself, God has given me some things I used to only imagine. 
and I go, you just never really deserved that. God, you are so good. But you choose faith over fear. And when you do, sometimes you're going to have to, you're going to have to speak to the mountain directly and say, get the heaven out of here. I adjusted it from the first service. In Jesus' name.